0: Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. And if you could turn in your Bibles with me this morning, we're going to be turning to the book of Exodus, chapter 32. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, which should uh, come up on the screen. And It says this, verse 1, Exodus 32, verse 1. It says this, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Then skip to verse 19 of Exodus 32. It says this, that when... Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. That's the the commandments that were given. Verse 20, and he took the calf the people had made and burnt it in the fire, then ground it to powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such sin? Don't be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Wow. Wow. Moses saw the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies so he stood at the entrance to the camp and said whoever is for the Lord come to me if you've you've probably heard this story if you've been in Sunday school like me you heard the story growing up of in the old testament story of Moses going to mount Sinai they just got through the crossing of the Red Sea. They'd have this amazing miracle where they've been delivered from the Egyptians, from Pharaoh. They see an amazing miracle. as around nearly two, 2.5 million, just short of people, cross through the Red Sea. Within a month of this, now they're down at the, the, the base of Mount Sinai. And they, and they see that their leader, Moses, goes up to the top of this mountain because he's being called because God wants to speak to him. All of these people, these refugees, as you could call them, were down at the base of this mountain. And what happens is they get a little frustrated because Moses is taking a long time coming back. And when they wait for Moses, it's interesting that their time of waiting causes so much problems in this community. Their impatience waiting for Moses to return... After they see he's speaking to God, it's a time of impatience and lots of things start to go wrong. How many of you know when some of us in our lives think that Jesus has left us, forsaken us, he's not around, we give up on him. We give up on him in our hearts. We say, well, I'm not sure you're really here, God, for me. At one time I knew you were, but now I'm not so sure. And at this season, this time... They see Moses go to the top of this mountain, and then all of a sudden, they find themselves making a golden calf, something new, another item of worship. Just the other week, when we went to the conference this week, one of the things we had to do is: how many of you know when you've got children, it's one of the hardest jobs is trying to find babysitters, especially for three days. We we got um, our, my wife's parents came down to look after the boys, and. One of the things we were worried about is not actually just getting babysitters, but it's actually that the children are going to behave while you're gone. And so, one of the things we did on the day they got, uh, they came down and they were going to start looking after them. Before we set off in the car, one of the things we did is I took them to Tesco's and I thought if I promise them a treat when I return, that might work. You see, I want I want her parents to come again and babysit. I don't know. It's not about will they do this time; it's will they come back. How bad is this going to be for them? So I took them to Tesco's and they said, well, you have brought us to Tesco's today and you're leaving us, dad. Will you get us a little gift today? So I said, I'll get you a little gift. And they said, and then I said, well, I can get you one for when I return as well, but I'm going to hold that back in the cupboard and I'm going to give it to you when we return only if you've behaved. And so I held these two little gifts and I hid them away and I knew they'd be looking for them all the time I was away. That was their, that was their agenda for three days to find these gifts that dad's hidden. And I thought, I just hope they've behaved. We return back and we ask grandparents, have they been good? And they said yes, and their thumbs went up. I'm thinking, are they just telling a lie? (laughs) The question is, will they return again? And then we gave these presents to them. But it's amazing, I don't know about you, if you've had babysitters before, anyone with children here, you'll realize that if you ever have someone look after your children, when you return after a night out, or you come back, or you've had three days away, it's amazing how many rules have been changed. I find things moved around the house. They tell the grandparents that, oh yeah, dad allows me to do this. Oh, he lets me stay up till 10 o'clock. We get back, the whole rules are changed. It's amazing in absence what happens. And sometimes in our lives, we do the same with Jesus. When Jesus feels silent, when we don't feel he's around and we can't sense him, we sometimes change our rules and we change things in our lives because we think, well, I need to feel something. And I want to encourage you today that however you feel, we've sung about it this morning. And by the way, I think the songs, no one knew I was preaching on. But I really believe that what was sung in the songs today is the effect of what I'm going to preach. We sung the song, God is good all the time. We've not sung that for a long, long time. But I want to tell you, God is good all the time, even though, even though you don't feel like it. When he feels silent, when you can't sense him around. You see, Moses, just in Exodus 24, a few chapters before, he's built an altar. At the bottom of this mountain, he's built this altar. And this is where they're focused. The altar was this place of experience, this place of meeting with God. He builds an altar, but it's interesting that while he's away... From Exodus 24, he goes up a mountain, and in 40 days and 40 nights, things change. The rules change, and all of a sudden, they find a new altar's been built. A new altar's been built in his absence, and I want to ask you today, is there in your life a changing in your altars? Is there in your life a change in where you've not felt God, so you've changed the rules? The title of my message today is Altering Altars. Altering Altars. Some of us sometimes think that we've got an altar before God. But actually the truth is we've altered it to suit us. Just because we couldn't feel God around. Frustration set in and they're in the camp and all of a sudden they start to pressurize and put some pressure onto Aaron. And they're saying to Aaron, look, let's just make our own God, something we can see. Some of us are like that. In our lives, we change under pressure, in absence, we feel God's not there and we change the altar. I want to tell you that our lives today, we're not here to build stone altars. We're not here to build golden calves. Our lives are not about that. Romans 12 says that our lives should be a living sacrifice before God. Your life is a living sacrifice. Every day we serve Jesus, we come to the altar of our lives and say we sacrifice ourselves. Yes, Jesus physically left us. We see it in Acts chapter 1, the ascension. You're saying today sometimes I can't see him. Jesus physically left. He said the same way I've gone, the same way I'm going to return, so you better get ready. But listen, when he left, he sent his Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, he will be a comforter. He will be one with us. He will be there for us. He's never left us. Some of us feel that way. I want to tell you that what we do in our lives, God is watching us all the time. His eyes are upon us. He's saying, are you changing the way you worship me? Even when you can't feel me. Some of us this morning are saying, It feels like Jesus is never going to return. I'm just waiting for that time. Some of us are saying, I've prayed to God, I've not heard anything. I've asked God for this, I've not heard anything. I want to ask you this morning, and I want to address and look at what causes us to change our altars. What do we learn from this group of people who saw some of the the greatest miraculous signs and wonders? I mean, we think seeing a leg grow is amazing, yeah? Imagine what they thought when they saw the sea part. Come on, we've got to believe for greater miracles. We've got to believe for outstanding miracles and signs and wonders. Because Acts tells us that in the last days we're going to see God's spirit poured out. We've got to believe for great things. These people saw with their physical eye amazing things. But yet, in one month after being led through the sea... They begin to change their altar. You see, experience for you is not the thing that's going to keep you secure. Your experiences of miracles is not the thing that is going to keep your faith secure. Whether you've seen a miracle on the streets, whether you've seen a healing, whether you've seen someone healed of cancer, that is not the thing that keeps you strong and secure in God. He doesn't want us to trust in miracles. He wants us to trust in who He is. His promises are secure. What causes us to alter our altars today? Number one, I want to bring to you some things this morning, a few points. Number one is this, personal impatience. Personal impatience. Impatience was their biggest problem. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good sometimes at being patient. I don't know about you. We get impatient when God is not acting at the speed we want him to. Put your hand up if you agree. Come on. We all, sometimes we have a speed in which we want God to work at. And when he's not working at that pace, we get frustrated. It says this, Exodus 32, 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. The message says when they realized Moses was taking forever. Come, make us gods who will go before us. Why? Because they said we've been waiting a long time for Moses to come back. Some of you are saying, I've prayed a prayer. I've not heard the answer. I've asked God for this. I've not seen any change. I feel like giving up. I can't get on my knees again and pray that prayer because if I do... I feel weak because there's never the answer when I want it. Impatience caused them to look for other gods. And I want to tell you today, you can have other idols, you can have other gods. You can look to other things and want other things in our lives just because God is not answering at the speed that you want him to. See, impatience is a powerful thing. I put here that impatience has the power to steal our present confidence in God's future providence. I'll say that again, our impatience has the power to steal our present confidence in God's future providence. In other words, when we are impatient, it has the power, these these feelings inside when we don't trust God and we give up on Him, it has the power to steal our confidence in Him. His future providence, His guidance, His deliverance. You see, they'd seen the deliverance. They'd seen themselves being delivered, but yet now, were they going to trust in God? They forgot where they'd come from. Exodus 14 says, just a few chapters before, that they'd been led through the Red Sea. Then it says, Exodus 16, that they'd been given bread and quail from heaven. Exodus 17, that God provides water from a rock. Listen to me. I want you to just picture this, because when they got The water from the rock. This was not just some little trickle from a rock. That everyone collected a little bit one at a time. It describes it like a river flowing. For two and a half million people, you need a lot of water. And when that water flowed from this rock and the rock split in two, they'd seen God's provision. They'd seen something amazing in their desert time in their life. They'd seen these mighty miracles. But yet, all of a sudden, a little absence causes impatience. Can't trust God. What's Moses doing? He's taking far too long up there. I wanted to come back with some answers. You see, you know why Moses went up there. He went up there because God wanted to give him the commandments. God wanted to give him direction for the people. God wanted to give to him his voice. And he wants to give us his direction. All the time when Moses was up there, he was hearing from God for his people. But yet the people got impatient. I want to say to you that we're in a great season here. Jonathan Conrad said just a few weeks ago, because we're in a season of acceleration. And I believe we are. We're in a great season where God is doing amazing things and there we're in a great season too. If you've just come through, through the sea one month ago, you'd be saying at the bottom of Mount Sinai, what a great season we're in. I don't know about you, but if I was there at that time, I'd be saying, what an amazing season. This is a season of acceleration. Let's preach some sermons. Let's tell some people about the Red Sea. Let's tell some people about the miracles of the bread falling from the sky. The provision of the water from the rock that flows like a river in the desert. Impossible miracles. This is a season of acceleration. But yet yeah, they give up on God. They give up on Moses. They say, no, no, no. It might be a season of acceleration. We've seen these things, but we're just not happy. We're just not happy. It's amazing, isn't it, that some people will find out of ten things, they'll find the one thing that doesn't work when they don't celebrate the nine that does. We always want to look for the negative, you see. We always want to find the wrong thing. And I want to tell you today, let's stop looking at the negatives and start looking at the positives in our life. Some of us so much are concentrating on the one thing that's going wrong when there are nine things that are going right. We're in a season of acceleration, whether you feel it sometimes or not. Second Peter 3.8 says that with the, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like a day. I don't understand that, but I know God does. It's a great thing when someone says, I'm waiting a long time, just tell them that verse. You see, God is outside of time. He's not restricted by time. And his view on us today is when we're waiting a long time for something, he's saying, son, daughter, don't think of it in the time that you know. Trust me because I'm an eternal God. I am an eternal God and I am outside of your time. But we can give up. Oh, we're not in a season of acceleration. Look, Moses has taken a long time coming. We want to change some things around here. We want to change some things. Let's change the rules a little bit. Because he's having a good time. We're not. How many of you sometimes, when you see your friends having a great time with God and you're not, you feel even more discouraged? You see, I believe that right at the top of this mountain, this sea, Moses having a great time. Oh, he's talking to God 40 days and 40 nights. He's, he's right up there at the top of this mountain. He says this in Exodus twenty-four seventeen To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Now listen to me. If it says that when they looked up at this mountain and they saw where Moses was... When they looked to the top and they were at the bottom discouraged and impatient. The one thing they could see is a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. The one thing that they could see is God's glory descending. Now they weren't having the same experience as Moses. But they were seeing God's glory. Some of us sometimes need to celebrate in what God's doing for others. When he's not doing anything for us. You see, the thing that keeps me going sometimes, and I want to encourage you this morning, you've got to stop thinking until God answers my prayer or does something in my life, I'm not going to worship Him and praise Him. I'm tired of Brother Dingeling keeps getting all these answers to prayer. I'm tired of him getting the answers that he wants. I want to encourage you today, when you see in the body of Christ that someone gets an answer to prayer, that they're blessed beyond measure, I want to tell you something today. It's assurance that you know that God is still with us. You see, I'm not worried about whether he's going to answer my prayers on time. I don't know about you, but I I once had a problem with my car. And I took it into the garage. They told me everything that was going wrong with it. The amount of money I had to inject into this car to keep the thing running. MOTs and things going wrong. And then you come to church or you you go to a conference and you hear some speaker say, Oh, it's amazing. I was just, I prayed to God and he blessed me with a brand new car. (sighs) You just feel like giving the holy slap. I'm sorry, but you're thinking, God, I've been praying. The MOT has failed. It needs a new engine. The thing's falling apart. And you've just, I've just heard a testimony that someone's, and you're there just going, oh, praise God. And you're thinking, I just wish I had that car." You don't understand and they're saying, you know, God knew my circumstance. I thought, well, he doesn't know mine. He didn't see mine when I was down at Quick Fit. He didn't see mine when the man told me and I nearly dropped through the floor that there's a 2,000 pound bill to fix the car. Oh no. Praise the Lord. You know. You know what it's like. And you're saying every one of us has had these circumstances. Let me tell you, I've been praying and trusting God. And when when I have not seen him come in the time that I thought, he's come in the time that he thought see, God is a great one at blessing us when he wants to bless us. But he's looking at our hearts. And I want to encourage you, these people saw Moses. They were feeling the same thing. Oh, look at Moses. Forty days and forty nights inside this cloud. I bet he's having a whirl of a time. Meanwhile, look at us. We don't get anything. So what do they do? They want to change the rules. And they want to have something to look at. They want to have an experience like Moses. So we'll create our own. I want to encourage you, don't give in to the devil. Don't give in to Satan who wants you to create your own experiences to fulfill yourself in these times of absence. And that can be sin. That can be temptation to do some things. To do things that you know you shouldn't do. To fill in that gap. You see, Psalm 139 says this, verse 5 in the NLT. It doesn't say that God just goes before us. It says, you go before me, you follow me, you place your hand of blessing upon my head. I love this because what it tells us is this. A lot of people love the fact that God goes before us. He's there before us. He was there before him; He took them through the Red Sea. They wanted direction. They wanted to see God with them. But now they had to wait while Moses was up this mountain. But listen to me. God is not just in front of you. He's behind you. And his blessing is upon us. His blessing rests upon us even when we don't feel like it. He's a God that's before us, behind us, and with us. Don't give up on him. Number two today is this. That one of the things that happens next is persuasive influence now they start to persuade Aaron to change the rules they start to persuade Aaron the high priest to make this golden calf how many of you know? sometimes when we're frustrated we we persuade others to join us in our in our in our decline if we feel low then I'm going to help someone else to feel low with me oh I've been struggling with this sin So I'm going to talk to someone and see if I can get them to kind of struggle with me. Sometimes we want people to join us and we pressurize others and influence others. And Aaron, this high priest, he's now feeling the pressure. As the people say, we want a God that we can see. Because Moses is having some fun. And we want something we can see. Because we feel he's a bit silent. He says this, Exodus 32, 2-4. to It says that. Aaron said to them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. All the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. There was a lot of gold. 2.4 million people coming through the sea, the Red Sea that day. It says this, that the Bible records to us and tells us that earlier on that when they left Egypt, it says they plundered the Egyptians for gold and silver. They were not short of gold. Some of you are wondering, how much gold did they have? They had lots of it. God gave them favor that when they left, they received lots of gold. And Aaron knew when they pressured him, he knew that he needed something. He knew he needed something of their wealth and their past to create something for their future. And so what he does is he says, I want you to bring your wealth, everything you have, so you can sow it into this next thing I'm going to make. How many of us sometimes, we look back to our old life, We look back to our Egypts. We look back to the wealth of what we used to have. And we start to try and build something from our past. When God's saying, I don't want you to build a calf. I don't want you to use that wealth that you have put your strength in. I want you to look to me. You see, the problem is sometimes that when we build these calves, when we build these things out of our wealth, out of the things that we have in our lives. And let me tell you, we can all do that. We look to things in our life, job security, things we want, and we begin to focus on these things. And we build these golden calves. We take what's from our past, and that is our security. But God says, I don't want you to build these things. I don't want you to build these things. They're going to take up room in your lives. I want to ask you today, what golden calves have you got in your life? What things have you built from your wealth? The things you have. What are you building today? The altars in our life can be hard to remove sometimes. We build them. We build these calves. We build these things and they get into our lives and then they're hard to remove because we get used to them. And I want to encourage you today that we've got to take our eyes back to Jesus. We've got to look back to God again. Because He's the one who's our deliverer. He's the one who is our future. You see, one of the things that I love is that when they look up and they see this fire visible in front of them. They see the glory of God descending on Sinai. It's interesting that what they do is then, they then make the fire To to create this furnace, to, to have the molten gold to create this calf. All the time they could be looking up at the mountain saying, look, God is speaking. But instead they decide to turn their back on the mountain. And now they look at the heat and the flames that are about to make this golden calf. How many of us have turned our backs on God? And now we're looking at other things that don't have the same effect. You see, the difference in the fire that was burning the molten gold would have been far less brighter than the glory of God on the mountain. And some of us have turned our backs and saying, where's God? And it's because we're looking at the flames of the things in our lives. We're looking at the things that we're building. We're looking at the calves that we're building. We're looking at the flames of, of, of light that are coming from this when God's saying, just turn back to me. I know that I've not spoken to you for a while. I know you might not hear my voice Clearly, but look back to me because the fire on the mountain was a sign to them that God hadn't left them. The fire on the mountain was a sign to those at the bottom in the valley that God had not left them. Moses was having a different experience, yes, but they had their own sign. And I want to encourage you today that God always, that's why I say that when you see God blessing another brother or sister in the church. I want you to see this. It's another fire burning. It's another fire burning at the top of the mountain that's telling you God is still here. He might not be setting my fire alight in my life, but I'm going to look at my sister or my brother and I'm going to say, God, you're doing something in them. It's enough for us to keep celebrating. You see, we give up sometimes because. We hear God speak to us and we don't understand it. You see, they'd seen direction from God. How many of you have heard that prophetic word? You've heard God speak to you and said, I don't understand why I got that. Now I've not heard from God for a long, long time. Some of you right now know that a word came to you many years ago. God spoke to you with such clarity. That was your Red Sea crossing. Now, a month later, but it's probably years for you, you're stood there thinking, I remember that clarity and direction, but now I don't feel anything. I want to ask you to hang on. Do you know, just about 10 years ago, I was back in my hometown where I grew up, and I was at a church, and this particular day I was with someone, and they were ministering, and I was in the prayer line, and it was my parents' church. I'd not been long saved, and I went up to my mum, and I knew at the time they were, they were going through lots of pressures and difficulties and, 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 and things that they said, we really believe God has spoke to us about certain things we want to move into, but we're just not sure. We're so frustrated. Their lives, they, they would express week after week when we went up to them how frustrated they were. They'd heard the prophecies. They'd heard God speak. And one morning I was I was praying for my own mom and I broke into into speaking in tongues as I was praying in the church for her in the meeting. And as I prayed for her, God began to reveal prophetic words and I began to speak over her. I didn't know what I was saying. This was around 10 years ago. And I said, "Mom, what's going to happen for you?" Because my mom was a pianist in the, in the church. I said, God is going to use you in the future and transport you somewhere and he's going to take you and your piano is going to be your weapon for God to use in the future. And I see you traveling with your piano. But I says in the picture I see this. God is taking you and your piano on a helicopter and transporting you and dropping you somewhere else. That was around 10 years ago. My mum stayed in the little old village for all those years. She's been playing the piano in the church all those years. There's been no helicopters transporting anything. There's been God not moving her anywhere like that. Until just this last year, they saw a pivotal move in their their lives with God. They saw a transformation that I've seen so evident every time I meet them. They took some huge steps of faith as they believed God was releasing them into their next season. They'd gone from a place of discouragement, a place of impatience, to now God using them at 150 mile an hour. Just last week, I was at a conference with her this week. And I said to mum, I said, what, what are you up to next? She said, we're off on a mission this, this week to Macedonia. I said, Macedonia? She said, yeah. She goes, but one of the things they've asked me to do is that they want me to fly over there. And when I get there, they want me to go and buy a piano and take the piano to the church and play it because they have no pianist. The moment she told me that, I remembered the word I gave to her years ago. So I sent her a message as she got on the plane. And I said, mum, remember? this word, and she remembered it. She, see, some of us forget, but I, I, I remember a lot of things. God sometimes reveals to me all prophecies when I see fulfillments. And I said, Mom, do you remember the time when I told you that I'd see you traveling with your piano, and that would be your weapon? Because she said, I'm a bit fearful about what I've got to do. How many of you know that God, even in our absence, the years of absence, God has not forgot the prophecies. He's not forgot what He's spoken over your lives. He's not forgot what He said to you. What he said to you will come to pass if it's from God. You see, the the thing is this. I want you to just see something here. While they were making, chiseling and fashioning this golden calf into the shape that they wanted it. They were shaping this calf into the, the God that they wanted to serve. While they were doing this with this gold that they had. And by the way, I think this would have been a huge calf if they had lots of gold. They were making this calf and shaping it and fashioning it. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but in Exodus 31, sometimes you've got to read your Bible and look around you a little bit. But in Exodus 31, the the chapter before this story, you'll see what God is saying to Moses at the top of the mountain. All the time while they're at the bottom, they're looking up and saying, we're not interested in, in this anymore. We want our own furnace and our own fire. We want our own calf. This is what God is saying to Moses. Exodus 31 Verse 1 to 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, remember this is the top of the mountain, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze. Verse 8 To make the table and its articles the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils the basin with its stand. What does that tell us? It tells us that God was speaking just one chapter before at the top of the mountain. This was a meanwhile, meanwhile, God is speaking to Moses and saying, look, I've got some intelligent people. I've got some craftsmen at the bottom of this mountain. I've got some people who are amazing with gold. They can fashion. They can do things. They're going to build the kingdom. They're going to build the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. They're going to build all the great things that I want you to do, Moses. Meanwhile, Satan fills their hearts. and What does he do? And this is what he does with every one of us in our lives. He makes counterfeit futures. He makes counterfeit buildings. He does this. He goes to them and say, oh look, I can hear what God's speaking to Moses about. So I'm going to encourage these people to start building their own things with gold. I'm going to let them use their own skills, the things that they know, so that they can waste their life on something that's dead. All the time Moses was hearing all the good things that God was going to use his craftsmen for. They were chiseling away and fashioning this calf. I want to tell you that God is always speaking over your life, you know. He's always at the mountain speaking. He's always saying things good over you. And whether you don't feel it, what the enemy's doing is saying, I'm going to create something that they go for that's counterfeit. That wastes their time. That takes their eyes off me. I'm going to get them using their skills for something else. Listen to me. There are people here today. You have got skills that you can bless the kingdom of God with. You have got skills and abilities that God has given you. And in heaven right now, he's saying, I know what I can use my son for. I know what I can use my daughter for. I know that if they just put these skills into kingdom building, they would see their future come to pass. But no, the enemies grip their heart. The enemy's gripped their heart, so now they look at building something. Same skills, same materials, different purpose. The enemy loves to twist and change the things in our lives. See, Aaron's there and Moses comes back, and what's the first thing that Aaron says? He says, when Moses comes down, he says he smashes these tablets to smithereens. He breaks them on the floor. These are the tablets, by the way, that God wrote with his own hands. I don't know about you, but if I was to say to you now, go and meet with with God at the top of the mountain. The God of the universe created some tablets for you to bring back down. You would put them in the safest safe. You would look after them with all care. His anger must have been so great that he smashed what God had made. He smashes them. And Aaron's response is, well... It's not me, mate. I just, I just threw the gold in the fire. And how came this. Do you know why? Because he knew that he would have to tell them that all the fashioning was done in their time and their effort. It was their passion that had gone into building this calf. And he said, I don't know what happened. I just threw the gold in. I got the gold from people. And this calf, look at it. It came. How many of us sometimes are like that? When God really grips our heart and shows us what we're really doing, we play the blame game. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Calves don't build themselves. The ornate detail doesn't come on its own. It takes passion. And some of us are wasting our time on things that God is saying, come back to me. Come back to kingdom building. Because there is where your future is. You can't fool others. Jesus knows our hearts. In Matthew 6:19 to 21 it says, "Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." I want to ask you this morning, is your treasure in Jesus? Is your treasure in building kingdom or building calves? Where is your real treasure? God knows our hearts. He knows right now. And in your minds today, you know things that you've been given your time to that are building calves. Your passion is going into when God's saying, I want everything of you for me. A.W. Tozer said this, the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. I want to tell you today that when you have him as your treasure, when he is your heart, when he is your everything, you have everything you need. And finally today, number three, is that the thing that caused them to change their altars was polluted guidance. We all want guidance. They wanted guidance from Moses, their leader. We all want guidance in our lives from God. You see, the problem is here is there was a little twist. You see, when they built the calf, that's one thing. But the next thing they do is build an altar for the calf. You see, the, alt, the, the calf was the first thing. It's where their passion, this is where their eyes were looking at. Their God was the calf now. They'd given up on the God who'd, who'd led them through deliverance. Now they were looking at it, and then they wanted to see an altar built for this calf. You see, when you build an altar to something, you're saying, I want to worship this. I, this is my focus. He says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced this. Tomorrow, there will be a festival. He didn't say a festival to the calf. He said, to the Lord. In other words, what happened is, it twisted their focus. You see, they weren't just looking at a calf. They were now trying to mix this view of a calf being part of God's idea. They were mixing In in other sense, mixing theology, getting their doctrine wrong. They were looking at something and saying, actually, we can include the calf in our religion, in our belief system. We can add this calf in. Because if we create an altar, he says, we'll have a festival not to the calf, but to the Lord. And some of us in our lives, what we do is we change our theology to suit us. We change things to suit our lives. So we say, I'm going to have my calf with God. I'm going to have these things that I've been building in my life and add them on. Because they complement God. When God's saying, this is not me. See, Aaron made this sacred altar for an earthly idol. He makes a sacred altar for an earthly idol. I want to ask you today, what is altering your altars in life? Idols can also be in church. Idols are not just in our lives. It's not just sin. It's not just the things that are populating our time. But listen to me very clearly. Idols can be in church. We can make worship an idol. We can make worship itself the idol that we come for. It now becomes a golden calf in the mix of God. I once went to a church, and I love worship, and I love effects, and I love all graphical things, but I went to a great church once, and I went in this room, and I couldn't see, so I needed a torch. Then someone squirted some smoke at me, so I needed an extra torch. <laughs> then I couldn't see, because all I could see was the smoke, and I went into this room, and I looked, and thousands of people looked at as the worship began. People got out their phones. All I saw is through the worship, I couldn't keep my eyes on God because I saw phones going on, people taking pictures. I thought, what are they taking pictures of? Filming the worship for a long time. I don't, by the way, I don't put that down. I've took my own pictures. It's nice, isn't it? By the way, we're not there to take pictures of the stage. See, the culture today, young people are looking for things to attract their eye. They're looking for the calves. You know why? Because they ain't seen the real thing. They ain't seeing the real thing. You see, when you know the consuming fire of God, when you know the experience of the fire of God in your life, you don't want to look to a stage for anything. I stood there and we began to worship and then the screens came on. And I was... Darting through this city fast while the worship song was playing. And I couldn't keep my eyes closed because the screen was telling me to watch myself travel through a city at 150 miles an hour on this screen. The lights flashing, the smoke going. And I thought, what's happening? I can't worship. I know I'm traveling at 150 miles an hour through a city, and the sound just sounds like what it does on the CD. (laughs) Oh, it's brilliant! In fact, actually, I worship more in the car when I can't see these things, listening to it, than I do when I see it for real. What's wrong there? You know, I spent my ticket. I come in and I go and see these things. And I I can worship God more in the car when I can't see this. Because the problem is, in churches today, we can be so... The, the problem is we can uh, let calves come in. We can put them on the stage. And every week, we yes, we go to have a festival to the Lord. But really, we're looking at the calf. Really, we're looking at the calf that we've created. Really, our altar is the sound, how good it sounds. When really, our worship to God is non-existent. We sing with our mouths, but our hearts are far from. This is the truth. And the truth is that we can love these things. I, by the way, I love it. But the moment it distracts us, we need to close our eyes. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Him. Focus on Him. I believe that Jesus is looking down sometimes from His mountain saying, If you just look back at me, if you stop looking at all this stuff, because listen, the world does a very good job. At that. The world can create all the effects that you want it to create, but none of the world has the ability to present the glory of God. We can be polluted in our guidance. And the high priest was misguided. In Romans 1.25, Paul describes his, historically what people did. He says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served, created things rather than the Creator. I want to ask you today, what are you worshipping in your heart? If the worship team wasn't there, can you close your eyes and worship? Can you really worship Him? Just the last week we were in here on the 2 p.m. and great time of worship, and God just moved us. uh, Some prophetic worship just came, and there was a breakthrough of God doing something very special. I'm, I'm quite a person who likes to recognize when God is doing something unique and the atmosphere shifted and I sense something happening and I sense God said this to me, that is what I'm about to do even more. I'm going to do this more because that's true worship to me when hearts cry out. I want you to get ready for God to break out in this place because he wants to move In worship like we've never seen it before. And it does not involve a smoke machine. It does not involve flashing lights. It involves our focus on Him. And hearing God's voice speak through into our worship. The people were misled. He says this. I love this. In verse 6. The people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings And presented fellowship offerings. When they got the golden calf, what happens? He says they rose early. I mean, I'd love it if people rose early at King's. Wouldn't it be good if we were all here for coffees at 9.30? Getting ready to worship. It's interesting. It's interesting what they rose early for. They rose early for the calf. They rose early for the things that they wanted. Not the things that God wanted. I want to encourage you. Some of us need to think, I'm going to go to church today. And I'm going to be there on time. Why? I want to rise early to worship God. I want to be there and set an example. Not walk in 15 minutes into the worship. My wife worked on the welcome team just a few months ago. Because did you enjoy it? She said, yeah, it's amazing how many people arrive 20 minutes into the worship. I say that because it's true. The team's here, they prepare through the week. We need to come and say, we're not just here for ourselves, but we're here for God. We're here, we want to honor God. We want to honor Him. He says they rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings. It's interesting that when we've done our men's breakfast here, we can all get here for bacon and eggs at nine o'clock. We find it very hard to get here to worship God at 10.30 or 10 o'clock. It's amazing what we'll do for a sausage and egg. (laughs) What we won't do for love for God. For a five pound breakfast. We've got to switch our thinking. Our altars can be altered the wrong way. We've got to come back to what God wants on our altars. Romans 8 verse 5 to 6 says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. In verse 8 it says, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. If we're looking at what the flesh wants, we can't please God. If the worship team just want to come back, that would be great. See, God is looking for us to have true altars of sacrifice. I know today has probably been a hard message to hear because none of us want to hear these things. But I want to I challenge you because I really believe God wants to prepare us for what He wants to do. He wants to show us that He's with us, that He's never left us even when we think He has. He wants to remind us today that He's for us and not against us. He's ahead of us, behind us, and in us. But sometimes we've got to check our altars. We've got to look at ourselves. Check what is it that we're really focusing on. Are we focusing on God? Are we focusing on the things in our lives? One of the greatest sacrifices that I love, apart from Jesus in the Bible, but it paints a picture of Jesus. Is in Genesis 22, when Abraham sacrifices his son Isaac, or goes to sacrifice. He says this in Genesis 22, and with this I finish. He says, God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. This is what it says next in verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. You see, Abraham gets the instruction. He says, this is what I want from you in your life. I want total surrender. I want total sacrifice. I want everything everything of you. Everything. Even your son. Your only son. God is saying that to us today. He says, I want everything of you, not just a bit, not just a part, not just a little bit of you. I want you everything. And when he asks him, he says, I want you to take your son Isaac because he wants him to sacrifice him. And by the way, he's testing him to see where his heart is, to see how much he wants to give, how much he wants to sacrifice. Where is the true altar in Abraham's life? What is his true altar? Does he really want to give me everything or not? And the moment he asks him, I love this. In verse 3, it says, he got up early. He rose early. The response wasn't, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm going to stay in bed today and cover his head. No, I just find it interesting that when God demands the greatest sacrifice in his life to give, he gets up early. He sets the alarm early. He gets up early because he wants to give God everything. He gets up early. You can imagine him. You imagine God's just told you to do this, to give everything you are. And say, I want you to come with your son, your only son. Bring him and sacrifice him. Will you give me this? Can you imagine? Going to bed that night and saying, I'm going to set my alarm early because I want to do this. It's my passion. It's my everything. He sets his alarm and he gets up and he loads his donkey and he sets off. And he climbs that mountain and his son's saying, Dad, we've got, we've got no, no sacrifice. He says, oh, we, the Lord will provide. And all the time he knows his son is the one who's going to be laid on the sticks. All the time he knows that. The father takes him up. He painted a picture of God the Father. Who knew the greatest sacrifice was to go to Calvary. The greatest sacrifice was to die on a cross for you. To give everything he is. Everything he is. He would have set the alarm clock early for you. He would have got up early for you. He would have got up and said I want to do this for the joy that's set before me. I want to do this for them. How much more do we need to respond today and say, God, I give you everything. All that I am, all that I'm going to be, I offer my life again to you as an offering. I want us to stand just right now. We're coming to a close. I want to encourage you today that as we close in just a moment maybe you need to say to God right now I want to just readjust and check my altars I want to examine my heart Paul said in 2 Corinthians thirteen five, he said examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith test yourselves do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless of course you fail the test Some of us need to examine our hearts. We need to examine where our altars are in our lives. Are we prepared to get up early for God? And I mean not get up physically early, but I mean give Him all our passion. Everything we are. Are we prepared for that? Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today.